It is good to be in the house of God today, and I appreciate the prayers that have gone before. And as you turn to Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14, reading through verse 19. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So this is the passage of Scripture we want to look at this morning and unpack. And as we begin to do that, we look at the context of what's going on as Paul writes these words. This is Paul praying for the saints who are in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. That's who this letter was addressed to, is the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is praying for them. This is the second recorded prayer in the book of Ephesians. And as we read through that and we think about the the idea that Paul is praying this prayer for believers, those who are already believers, some of it might seem a little bit strange. So as we attempt to unpack um, what's in this, I think it's helpful for us to kind of understand the structure overall as we kind of look at this as a whole. So in verses 16 and 17, Paul is going to ask for two specific things for the Ephesians. He's going to ask for these two things. And then after that, he's going to give two purposes for those, those things that he's asking for. So in other words... He's going to ask for something and then say, this is the reason I'm asking for it. This is the purpose behind it. It's what a a purpose statement is. And so those come in verses 18 and 19. The one other little interesting thing is that there's this little kind of parenthetical statement right in the middle of all of that, that even if you go back to the original language, it, it doesn't really connect to anything around it. But we'll see why Paul did that as we go through and, and kind of unpack this. So the first request that Paul asked is that they would be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. And the second is that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Then those requests are followed by two statements of purpose, that ye might be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ with passes knowledge. And then lastly, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the second purpose. So that kind of gives an outline for what we want to look at today. And the first thing that Paul says, the first thing that Paul asked for in this prayer is that they would be strengthened in the inner man. So we're going to start there. Point number one is strengthened in the inner man. Now, as you think about this prayer as a whole, um, it's, it's really interesting that this is where Paul would start. He says, I pray that they would be strengthened with might in the inner man that strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. So strength 
is a trait that we think we we value that in our culture. Strength is something that um, we think of a lot, but not in this way. So, you know, I think about when I think about strength, I think about the Olympics. When the Olympics are on, my family's glued to the television. You know, we love it. We love to watch the Olympics and all these different events, and and especially because you get to take athletics and pair it with patriotism. That's a good pairing that we like. So we like to see how. You know, all these events take place and, and it takes such great skill and strength to do those things. Um, you know, probably there are a lot of college football fans in here today, as has already been mentioned. That's, you know, we, we admire that strength that it takes to play the game. Um, just the, the combativeness of it and, and how much strength it takes and the preparation and all the things that go into that. So as we think about that kind of strength, you know, at the beginning of a new year, um, the gyms in, in America, all the, the, you know, places where you go, that's going to be on the rise, right? Uh, their memberships are booming right now. For about the next three weeks, they're probably going to have record influx of people coming in because people are saying, Oh, it's a new year. I'm going to get in shape. And then about March, you know, it crashes and, and memberships back down to normal and the same people are in the gym and the same people that weren't or not. And so it goes back to normal. But our culture does value strength. We think strength is a good thing. And that's not at all something that's that's wrong or bad. There's nothing wrong with the fact that we uh, think strength is a good thing. Uh, strength, without strength, nations fall, leaders fail, personal health diminishes, you know, even our lives can be shortened. But the strength that, that is essential to a Christian, however, and what Paul is asking for here is not a physical strength. So you think about this, when Paul is praying, this is his prayer for the Ephesians, he doesn't mention physical strength. He doesn't mention physical health. What he mentions is, I want them to be strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit. So it's a different kind. It's a, it's a spiritual strength that's supplied by the Spirit of God. So he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. And so as we pray to God, isn't it um, great that we're praying to a God who has riches of glory? God is not, his arm is not short that he can't provide what it is that we need. So as Paul prays, he acknowledges that. He says, according to the riches of your glory, I pray that you would give strength in the inner man. So God has a wealth of strength that he can give. And God grants this strength in such a way that it draws attention to the abundance of His grace instead of our own strength. Uh, so even in the fact that He gives us strength, all that does is point out our weakness and His strength. Isn't that amazing? That God can do it in such a way that it still doesn't seem like we're the strong ones. So Paul prays for this spiritual strength for them, but he prays for it in a way that exalts God's strength and shows our weakness. So while human strength gives glory to men by showing, you know, how, how strong they are, how big their muscles are, the Spirit glorifies the Father by the strength of Christ in the Spirit that thrives through weakness. So regardless of, of the size of our bank accounts or our intelligence or how strong we are physically or how good our health is, all of those things are irrelevant really in, in the long term. It's kind of, kind of the same point that Brother Aaron was making this morning about that football game. You know, one day that's not going to matter. It's really not going to matter. And, and how much money we have in our bank account is really not going to matter, um, in, in the long run. But this, this strength that Paul is asking for is going to matter 
uh, and, and it does matter. So this is what he's asking for. Really kind of made me stop and think about what we do in our church services and, and in our meetings together uh, with other Christians. We And there's nothing wrong with this, and I want to say that first because I don't want you to think I'm saying we shouldn't do this. We spend a lot of time praying for the sick. We spend a lot of time praying for physical needs. We spend a lot of time praying for physical strength for people, which, like I said, is not necessarily a bad thing. But how many times do we pray for each other for spiritual strength in the inner man? Uh, we, we ought to do that more. This is a good example from Paul to us that we ought to spend more time praying for the strength that really matters, the inner strength uh, of the spirit. So that's the type of strength that Paul is praying for here and praying that it will not wane. Uh, that it will continue to go on. And, and as we pray for these other things, we need to pray for spiritual strength as well. So that's that's number one. That's the first thing that Paul prays for. Secondly, he prays for Christ in you by faith. So secondly, our second point is Christ in you by faith. So Paul's second petition for the Ephesians is that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. That's a that's kind of an unusual prayer for those who are believers. As I was kind of un- outlining the, the text for you this morning, uh, I mentioned there's going to be some things that sound kind of strange. So this one, I think, is, is one of the keys there of something that would kind of sound a little bit strange. For those who already are believers, for us to pray that God would dwell in their hearts by faith. So why would we do that? We certainly know that those who are regenerated and converted are indwelled by the Spirit of God and that Christ lives in the heart of every true believer. I think we all affirm that this morning. We understand that if you are a believer, that's because you've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, right? Without that, you wouldn't come to the knowledge of the truth. You would not have spiritual life of any kind. So then why would Paul ask for something that already exists? Why would Paul pray that Christ may dwell in the hearts by faith if we know that as a believer... Christ does dwell in their heart. So I would, I'll, I'll begin to sum up the answer to that question this way. Just because you have faith, that doesn't mean that you don't need faith, right? Just because you have a measure of faith, it doesn't mean that your faith doesn't need to be strengthened or increased or become more full. So you remember the passage of Scripture where the man says, Lord, I believe. But what does he say next? Help thou my unbelief. So there's a, a, a fuller understanding of faith that could be what Paul is talking about here. Uh, a born-again child of God, a regenerated child of God has been made spiritually alive by the Holy Spirit of God and in that without the use of means or instruments. But then the child of God is converted to faith and repentance through the gospel or the word of God. And it is that faith that Paul is praying for here that it would be strengthened and increased and, and made more full. So to kind of lead into an example of how we can kind of use a metaphor to understand this, I'll read you a little bit of what John Gill said about this. John Gill said that this indwelling is as a king in his palace to rule and protect them, and as a master in his family to provide for them, and as their life to quicken them. It is a consequence of their union to him and is expressive of their communion with him and is perpetual. Where he once takes up his residence, he never totally and finally departs. And then Gill goes on to say that even though that is true, sin still remains and opposes and rebels against the rule of the king in this palace. 
Romans 8, 9 and 11 says it this way, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. So we know that the Spirit dwells. Romans is very clear on that. And as Gil said, this is like a king in a palace. I think that's a great way to understand this concept that Paul's shooting at when he says that I want Christ to dwell in your hearts by faith. So you got to think about all the areas of your life, all the different aspects of your life. Everybody in here has different aspects of their life. You have your family. You may have a career. Uh, you have hobbies and interests. You have all these different parts of your life uh, of who you are. And if you're a true believer, there's a throne room in, in the palace. So you have your palace. All the different areas of your life are in this palace. And there's a throne room in the palace. And if you're a believer, Jesus Christ sits on the throne of your heart. And, and the Bible confirms that and says that, that Jesus Christ dwells in the palace. He dwells in the throne room of the palace. And as John Gill said, he will never totally and finally depart. He will not leave. He's not going to be removed from the throne by any force that there is. I don't know about you today, but I rejoice in that doctrine that if I'm saved, if, if I truly am a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no force in the universe that can take that away from me that can remove Christ from the throne of my heart. However, we also know, because the Bible teaches it, that in this palace, Jesus is on the throne, but all the rooms are not clear, right? They're not all cleared. There's still a rebel who's sneaking around and trying to gain territory in this, in this place. And sadly, sometimes he gains some territory in our life. He, he gains a room here and a room there. And we're in this constant battle. Paul said, you know, the things that I would do, I do not. That which I should do, I don't. All of those things that Paul said about this battle with the old man. Well, that old rebel is still sneaking around in the house, in the palace, in the, in the castle. And he's trying to take territory. He's a defeated adversary. I'm glad of that. I'm glad he's defeated. But yet, he's still sneaking around trying to gain control of more and more rooms in the palace and, and, and sometimes we concede this territory to him. Now, he really has no power or authority. He will never succeed, like we said, in removing the king from the throne. So what Paul is asking for here, I, I believe if we can look at it this way, Paul is saying that Christ may dwell in your hearts more fully, that, that, that the more rooms would be taken for the king and that less would be given over to the enemy, that less would be conceded to the rebel that's still sneaking around in this palace. Romans 6, 12 through 14 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace." So when Paul says, I pray for the Ephesians, I pray for them that Christ may dwell in their hearts in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's 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 a big ask. It's a big thing. It's a big deal. It's something that we ought to be praying for for ourselves and for other believers 
all the time that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. It's a strengthening of faith that he's asking for uh, in this. So then as we begin a new year, what a good time to kind of take stock of where we are in that battle. Uh, It's a good time of the year to just kind of take reflections. I'm not a big resolutions person, um, probably because I know that it wouldn't last long enough and I'll get busy and forget it. But yeah, I do think it is a good time of the year for us to kind of look at our life in, in general. It's a new start. That's always a good thing for us to kind of see that God's mercies are new every morning. What, what a great time for us to kind of reevaluate. So a question that we could ask ourselves is, will I go to war this year against the old man? Will I attack all areas of my life that are in rebellion to the king? Will I go to war on those things in my life? Will I concentrate and, and, and ask for the indwelling of Christ in all areas of my life, that that influence would go to each and every room in that castle, that it would spread out in my life into each, even those things that, that I've tried to kind of keep secret, you know, that I've kind of tried to keep over in the shadows. I don't, I don't really want that part to get exposed yet. Maybe it's time to go to war against those things. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So you see, one image we can take is a warfare, that we go to war against that old man. Another way we can look at it is, what are we going to put on this year? What are the things that I need to put on? What is the new man that I need to put on this year? And then what are the things that I need to remove? What is that that I need to take away and, and put off the, the parts of my former rebellious life that are leftovers in my life? What, what can I put away and put off that I need to then replace by putting on the new man, which is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Second Corinthians 12, 9 says this. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So you might wonder why I bring that verse up. But our text says that what Paul is praying for is that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. Well, something I had really not ever noticed about 2 Corinthians 12, 9 is that when you look at the uh, original language there and, and you go back and you see this word where it says, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When we see that word rest there in, in the original language, what that really means is that um, Christ dwells. It, it actually If you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, it says to take possession of and live in the house. To live in the house. So when we say that Christ's strength is made perfect in weakness and that we want the power of Christ to rest upon us, it's very similar to what Paul is praying here by the the, to be strengthened by might in the inner man. So that strength, same thing that's mentioned here, the power of Christ is, is made perfect in weakness strength made perfect in weakness, and that it would dwell or rest upon me, that there would be a a dwelling that takes place. So very similar prayer there uh, that we see in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 as what we see in Ephesians 3. 
the two positions, the two petitions of Paul kind of come together in that one verse in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where he says he's praying for the Ephesian believers that they would be strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit and that their lives would be more and more saturated with the power of Christ who dwells in their hearts by faith. I think that word saturated is a good way to look at it as well. He wants their lives to be saturated from top to bottom, filled with the strength uh, of God through the Spirit. This spiritual strength uh, would be evident in all areas of their life. Now third, we're going to get to this phrase that uh, I told you is kind of it kind of seems out of place a little bit. But the third point is strong roots and firm foundations. So as we go back to our text, strong roots and firm foundations. Verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. That's the phrase. So being rooted and grounded in love. It's somewhat disconnected from the rest of the passage. It's essential to our understanding of the passage. So I'm not saying that it's irrelevant. I think it's essential for us to understand. But just in a language perspective, usually if you see a phrase in the Bible, uh, when we study the Bible, we say, okay, is this connected to the previous statement? Is it connected to the next statement? In, in this instant, it's really not connected to anything. It's just there. Paul, it's like Paul is teaching and he's saying all these things. He's in this prayer. He's saying what he's saying. And then he just kind of has a parenthetical statement rooted and grounded in love. So why would he include that in the text? Well, let's unpack it a little bit. And I think you'll understand <coughs> how essential it is to the passage and why Paul would in- include it in this prayer for us. Rooted is an agricultural term. So when he says rooted and grounded in love, rooted, it's an agricultural term. So I'm going to be honest, that's a weak area for me. Um, if, if my family had to depend on me to grow our food, we'd be in trouble. I better learn how to do something else so I can trade because we'd probably starve to death. I'm just not something I've ever been really good at. My dad can grow anything. He just, you know, he just go out and plant it. It's like he doesn't have to try and it just grows. For me, if I did the same thing, it would die uh, and, and quickly. So, so this is not a strength for me, but I do understand the basics of what this means when it says rooted. Rooted is that agricultural term. So for me, it's easier to think of like a big tree. That's the easiest thing for me to think of. When I think of roots, I think of trees because you can see their roots many times. But we think of a large tree and these big, large trees, they have really extensive root systems that go way down into the ground. And the the, the reason for those roots is that they provide life-giving nutrients and stability for the tree to be able to grow. Without the roots, the tree would not be able to grow for two reasons. And I think both are really important. And I think we think about one of them a lot. We don't think about the other one a lot. So for the tree to be able to grow, we're saying for growth, it has to have good roots. And for two reasons. The first one I think we think about all the time is that that's where the nutrients come from. So for the tree to grow, it has to have good food. It has to have water. It has to have the nutrients from the ground. So all of that comes through the roots and into the tree, and then the tree is able to grow. However, what we don't think about is for the tree to be able to grow up really high, really big, really strong, it has to have stability. So if the roots were really shallow and you have a really big tree and then a wind comes along, what's going to happen? Tree's going to come right out of the ground. It must have stability as well. So roots provide stability as well. 
And as the roots dig deeper in the ground, the branches then are able to reach higher and higher. But without the roots, the tree would be unstable and would not be able to sustain growth. Colossians 2.7 says, We are rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So you see the link between being rooted and built up and abounding. So if we want abounding in our life, if we want growth in our life, which I think is the just the essential part of Paul's prayer here is growth and and uh, and abounding, then we must be rooted and established. The concept of abounding in, in the verse there in Colossians 2 is very much what Paul has in mind in his prayer for the Ephesian Christians and for us today as we read this prayer in Ephesians 3. So as like we said, as the roots go deeper, the tree grows taller, and that's the desire of Paul for us and for the Ephesians. The other word that Paul used here is grounded, and that's one that is a little bit easier for me to understand, something a little bit more in my wheelhouse than growing things. And, and that's really a construction uh, metaphor. The same word is used in Matthew 7.25 where it says the house was founded upon a rock. It's the same Greek word that's used in our text here. So it's really talking about foundations. Any good builder knows that a strong foundation is essential. Um, you know, we're adding on to the back of our church. We're putting in a baptistry. And so I, I was kind of, and I, I'm kind of, you know, in and out on the project. And so I asked Brother Jeff, I said, man, that looks like, that, I mean, they put those footings down really deep and they poured the concrete really deep and we're kind of going overboard on this thing, aren't we? And he said, well, it's a baptistry. You know, this thing's going to weigh a lot. You fill it up with water, that's a lot of weight. And you better, you better make sure the foundation's strong or this thing's going to be all over the place, you know? It, it really kind of, I was like, oh, that's, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense that we would need a really strong foundation for that much weight. I didn't think about all the weight that would be put on it. So, uh, like we said, a good builder knows that a strong foundation is essential. The wise man in Matthew 7, he built his house upon the rock, and when the storms came and beat upon the house, it did not fall. Because the foundation was strong. Remember the foolish man built his house upon the sand and the, the storms came and great was the fall of that house. Now, one thing I always have to mention when I mention that passage in Matthew 7 is, did you notice that storms came in both cases? Just because you're a believer, you think storms are not going to come in your life? You need to quit listening to Joel Osteen. You know, you need to quit because the storms came in both cases. The only difference was that one house was built on a solid foundation and the other was built on sand. And so the house that was built on the solid foundation stood. So as Paul begins this prayer of, of wanting strength and indwelling for the people of God, he says there's something we need to remember. That if we want abounding and we want growth, there better be a good foundation. Because a tree with shallow roots is going to fall. And a house without a good foundation is also going to fall. So it's a reminder to us about the foundations. Any Placing our faith on anything other than Jesus Christ is building on sand and it will only lead to a great fall. And I believe the Spirit will not build on any other foundation. And I'll stand on that. I don't believe that the Spirit of God will build on any other foundation than that of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation on which the Spirit of God builds. So Paul says... We need to remember as we unpack this. So he's, he's made us two asks of God. He has asked for spiritual strength and he's asked for this indwelling by faith, uh, this, this indwelling of Christ by faith. 
And now he says, before we get to the purposes, let me remind you, there must be a strong foundation. Now, the first purpose statement, uh, we're going to go on to our next part of the text there in, in verse 18. It says, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. And then, of course, the end that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's going to be our, our last section. But as we look at this first part, this is the first purpose statement that Paul is making for what he's asking for from the Lord in this prayer. And the truth that we just talked about, about roots and foundations are going to really help us understand, especially this first purpose of Paul uh, as he reveals this to us for the petitions that he's already made on behalf of the Ephesian believers. Both of the purpose statements here begin with a, a particular Greek word. And you don't have to write this down and you may not ever remember it again. But I want you to know that's why we split it up the way we do. You know, It wasn't like that I'm studying and I said, you know what, I think Paul has two purposes here. There's a language reason why he, he very plainly says. So the Greek word is henna and it can be translated in order that. So so here's what happens. Paul says, I'm praying for spiritual strength and I'm praying for this um, this indwelling by faith of Christ in your life in order that this might happen. OK, so that's that's kind of where we're at. He's saying in order that so you could read it this way uh, when he says there at rooted and grounded in love. Maybe right before may be able, there's a Greek word henna. Might So you would be in order that they might be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. So this is the purpose of Paul praying for what he has prayed for. So how can that brings up a question? So what is he actually asking? What is he saying? He's saying, I'm praying for these two things so that they might be able to comprehend. That's the short version. Well, how can we know and comprehend something that Paul himself says passes knowledge. Isn't that interesting? In the same sentence, Paul says, I want them to be able to comprehend something that passes knowledge. It's something that's unknowable. That's really interesting, isn't it? I'm glad that I don't know everything to know about God, aren't you? Because if I did, would He really be God? If we could fully understand everything there is to know? But Paul is asking for them to have comprehension and he's not saying, I think this is important as well. I've always wondered, why did Paul say, you know, is it just flowery language? Or why would he say, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height? I thought, why did he include that in this statement? Well, I think it's for this reason. When we say we want to comprehend something that's unknowable, we might say, well, you know, just get a general idea. You know, maybe you can't understand all of it. But maybe you just have some notion of who God is or the love of God in some some. That's not what Paul's praying for, is it? He says, I'm talking details. I'm talking the breadth and the length and the height and all the width, all of these different dimensions. So it's something that is very um, it's not not nebulous in its understanding. So the answer lies when we say, how can we comprehend something that Paul says passes knowledge? The answer lies in understanding about what what Paul is actually asking for in the preceding verses. That's where the answer comes from. So we have to go backwards and think about what he's already said, what he's asked for. 
uh, to really understand how he could say that we can comprehend something that passes knowledge. And the key word is in the beginning of verse 18 there. Paul says that one purpose in praying for strength and indwelling for the saints is that they might be able to comprehend the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You see, the love of Christ is something that passes human knowledge, right? From the human perspective, from the natural man's perspective, the natural man cannot understand the love of Christ. He cannot. It's one of the the hard, really hard truths that a lot of Christians, it takes them a long time to understand. Some uh, probably never understand that without the Spirit of God, we cannot even see the kingdom of God. That's the words of Christ. You remember when Nicodemus came to Christ? He said, ye must be born again to see the kingdom of God. You can't understand spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So as Gill says in his commentary on this verse, he said, the natural man cannot comprehend the love of Christ and he knows nothing of it. In other words, it's not like they can get a little bit of an idea. It passes knowledge. It is beyond those who are not born again by the Spirit of God. So when Paul says, I'm praying for this inner strength and this indwelling of the Spirit so that you will be able to begin to see the love of Christ. That's kind of how we could reword this. Now, has any of us, would any of us say here today that we fully understand the love of Christ? No, no, we, we don't say that. I think none of us would be arrogant enough to say that we fully understand the love of Christ. However, we can say like in Matthew 13, 16, where it says, blessed are your eyes for they see and blessed are your ears for they hear. We see and we hear and we understand uh, what the love of Christ is uh, to a point because we've been born again by the Spirit of God. The believer is strengthened by the Spirit in the inner man and Christ dwells in their heart by faith. And because of that, they are able to begin to see the dimensions of the love of Christ in their life and in the life of others. So the purpose of Paul's prayer is that believers would grow in and understand more clearly the love of Christ. And this is accomplished through the work of the Spirit and the indwelling of Christ in the heart by faith. This is not merely a head knowledge. It's not that we study and learn more about the love of Christ. That's not what Paul is talking about here. This is an experiential knowledge. It is a spiritual knowledge. Progressively seeing more and more and more of the eternal dimensions of the love of Christ. So go back to the, the idea of the tree with the roots going down as the roots of faith dig deeper and deeper into the, into the love of Christ, then the branches at the top reach higher and higher towards the reality of a future glorification that we're not there yet, but we're growing towards. I'll repeat that. That's, that's kind of a key concept for this passage. As the roots of faith dig deeper and deeper into the love of Christ and who Christ is, the branches then reach higher and higher towards the reality of a future glorification and conformity to Christ. You know, we are not fully conformed to Christ, but we are being conformed to the image of Christ. And that is that is really what Paul's prayer is all about. And yet, on the other hand, if we could spend eternity, all of our lives, 
You know, from the moment we're born to the moment we die, and we were mining the depths, reaching for the heights, attempting to determine the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of Christ our Redeemer, we wouldn't scratch the surface in the lifetime of studying of who He is. We wouldn't scratch the surface. We wouldn't even begin to be able to reckon this love of Christ that is that passes knowledge. So Paul is praying that God would grant strength in the inner man and the presence of Christ in the heart of the Ephesians and us and all believers as they continue to view more and more of this love that passes knowledge. And when we're blessed to even see a small part of it, we would be like John in 1 John 3 where he says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. If that's not your reaction to a glimpse that you get of the love of God, then you're looking at the wrong God. <laughs> you're looking at the wrong God. Um, we would, we're in awe that we could be called the sons of God, that the love of God is what it is. Now, the last thing that we'll get to is the very end of that verse there in, in verse 18 and verse 19. So, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge and that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So this is the second purpose statement. There's another little word inserted there, another henna. And I'll be honest, as I've studied this in the past, I kind of skipped right over that. I just kind of lumped it all in, into one thing. It's, well, it's, you know, and it kind of sounds that way if you read it just in our text. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It seems like it goes right with the phrase before. But there's that little word in there that says, in order that. So, so we can say, okay, does this mean in, in order that, that it connects it with the previous purpose, or does it connect all the way back? Well, I believe it connects all the way back to the original prayer that he's asking for those two things. And, and so what does it mean then if Paul is asking for this and, and these two things, and he says there's two purposes here. One, <coughs> one being that we might be able to know more and more and comprehend more and more the love of Christ in our life, then what is the second purpose? Well, it's to be filled with the fullness of God. Okay, well, that sounds good. What does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? So we can start out by ruling out what it doesn't mean. Well, it does not mean a complete conformity to Jesus Christ. We know that. It doesn't mean that we would be perfect uh, or reach a state of sinless perfection, or it doesn't even mean a perfect understanding of the love of Christ or the divine nature. So we know that, that it can't mean those things. So defining the terms here can help us understand a little bit more about what Paul is meaning. So in this context, I believe when he says for us to be filled with all the fullness of God, what he's really meaning there is that we would every aspect of our life would be affected. So if you fill something, every part of it is affected. Not just parts. It's not a partial. If you say, I filled it up, um, then that means there's no aspect of it that is not affected. There's no remaining part that is empty. That's another way to look at it. So there's no remaining part that is empty. So have you ever seen this done before? Um, I didn't bring all the materials with me to do it for you in person, so I'm going to have to describe it to you. Maybe you've seen it before on a video or something. Have you ever seen anybody take a big glass jar and they put golf balls in it first, you know, and then they have all these golf balls laying here and they put them all in and then they can't put any more in. If they try to put them in, they fall out. And they, they ask the people, they say, is this jar full? 
And they say, yes, the jar is full. Nothing else will go in the jar. Well, then they take some Skittles and they start pouring the Skittles in. Well, what happens? A lot of them go in, right? There's a lot of gaps because golf balls are big and there's a lot of gaps in there. So the Skittles go in and they say, okay, now is the jar full? Yes, absolutely. Now, yeah, you got us the first time. But now the jar is full. Then they take water and they pour, you know, a whole bunch of water. Because it's amazing how much will actually go in because there's a lot of gaps. Even still, there's a lot of gaps in the jar. Well, I can, I see it this way that Paul, what Paul's really saying here is that they might be filled with all the fullness of God, that the gaps would be less and less and less. There's less gaps, more full, less gaps, that, that every remaining part is full. What a prayer. And how, how much different our lives would be if, if every gap and every, every part was full. So in the life of the believer, you know, some examples of this would be, like we said, all the different areas of our life, our relationships, our career, our relationships with our family, in our marriages, in our finances. That's a tough one. Does the love of Christ, the strength of the inner man, and, and the indwelling of Christ by faith, does it affect your finances? That's a hard question. Does it affect your hobbies? Does it affect your career? Does it affect where you choose to live? Does it affect what church you attend? I hope it does. I hope it does. All of those aspects of our life to be filled with the fullness of God and experience that the fullness of God, of course, is found in Jesus Christ and it's experienced through faith. So what Paul is doing is he's practically applying what he's asking for in the lives of the believer in the saints comprehension of the love of Christ that passes knowledge. And he's praying that they would be filled with all the fullness of God in every aspect of their life. So the question then is, what would our lives look like if every area of our lives were filled with the influence of the love of Christ? So we kind of go back to our metaphor that we used earlier. How many rooms in your life are filled with the presence and love of Christ and how many are still controlled by the old man? Paul says, I want to fill the house for the Ephesians. I want the Ephesians to be just full of the presence of Christ and the understanding of the love of Christ in their life. And I want that to be the controlling influence in their life. Now, of course, as we talk about that, you know, we... We know that in every believer's life, and I want you to hear me say this. I think you know this, but I want you to hear me say it. We know that that's not going to happen in this life. It's never going to come to full fruition. Um, that is what sanctification is all about. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. No one is saying that, that we're ever going to get to a place. I'm not saying for sure, and Paul is definitely not saying uh, in his letter that we're going to get there now. But there should be a process that's ongoing in our life. We should be being more and more like Christ, not less and less. Uh, and, and so that is, I just wanted to make that clear. No one is saying that when I say to be filled with the fullness of God, that you're going to get up, get to a place of sinless perfection. Like I said in the beginning, that's not the case at all. However, growth in the Christian life is something that we should expect. It's not something that is optional for the believer. It's not optional for the believer. We should be being conformed to the image of Christ through the Spirit. It's not us. Once again, what is Paul asking for here? He said, I'm praying that these Ephesians would get their act together and start living more like Christ and understanding more about God. They need to study harder and they need to... Is that what Paul prayed for? No, Paul said, I'm praying 
for strength in the inner man, that you would have spiritual strength, that God would intervene, that the Spirit of Christ would dwell in you by faith so that the things that you understand about Christ would affect all areas of your life. Now that's a rich prayer. That's something that I want prayed over me and I want to pray for other Christians. So in closing, I we'll want to summarize kind of the whole, whole uh, Paul's prayer in, in kind of layman's terms. So this is Paul's prayer. May the Father grant believers today strength in the inner man by the Spirit and the indwelling presence of Christ by faith in order that they may comprehend the love of Christ that passes knowledge and be filled in every area with the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. So one more time. May the Father grant believers today strength in the inner man by the Spirit and the indwelling presence of Christ by faith in order that they may comprehend the love of Christ that passes knowledge and be filled in every area of life with the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. I hope those things have been a blessing to you. It's my prayer for myself and and for you in this new year is that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. He would give us opportunities to share the love that's in us with others.